When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into episode 232 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations that's on Blazer Parkway in Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health and a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by Zach Gagan, our trusty basketball recruiting reporter, uh, beat writer, all of those things. We go hand in hand on the Kentucky basketball beat, and we are ready to break down another Kentucky basketball win. Zach, how the heck are you? Uh, I am doing the heck good, Jack. Three wins in a row for the Cats. Uh, I think we're going to talk about some season turnaround uh, stuff today, but no, 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 two big teasers. No, we're not. We're going to tease too much here, even though most of it's all on the side of the, uh, the the screen there. But yeah, I'm doing great, Jack. It's been a good start to the week, so no complaints over here. And uh, well, I won't give away my address, but near nearby Kentucky's campus. Well, as you said, three straight wins for the Kentucky Wildcats. How about a streak? We have not had a streak since December 10th. Is that not crazy for Kentucky basketball to, to go uh, over a full month without a, a streak of wins for, for the basketball team? So uh, very, very glad that, that I think it's been 42 days to be exact since that happened. Kentucky uh, defeats the fighting uh, Aggies of Texas A&M 76-67. to Again, another hard-fought victory. It was one that... Uh, kind of went a, a, against the script from the previous win when Kentucky beat Georgia and an absolute dominant effort for for Oscar Sheboy there in the second half. It, they beat them in a different way, uh, but yet another step forward for a program that absolutely needed one. Zach, uh, some of your takeaways a couple days after the win, you know, let that thing marinate a little bit. How uh, are you feeling about the win uh, a couple days later now? Well, that's actually where you started is where I'd like to start with Kentucky being able to win games in different ways. We met with Chin Coleman today uh, for our Monday morning press conference. And that was one of the big things that he said. I kind of asked, you know, does it feels like you all are, if you need to hit a bunch of threes, you can. If you need to hit a bunch of free throws, you can. If you need to live and die by Oscar, you can. And they're winning games. So you know, I'm looking here that, and I've actually got a nice article coming out on KSR, a great website, probably here in about uh, 50 minutes. It says kind of talking about what I'm about to explain here, but. Tennessee, Kentucky scores 63 points. Uh, Georgia, they score 85. Texas A&M, they score 76. Kentucky is proving right now that they can win games no matter what the other team is throwing at them. If they want to be physical and grind the game down to a halt like they did against Tennessee, Kentucky is going to find ways to score. Uh, if they want to do it like the Georgia route, where Georgia just wants to you know, essentially do the same thing, put Kentucky at the line a bunch of times um, and live, you know, if they want to let Oscar beat them, you know, Kentucky can win with that as well. Or they can win like we saw uh, a couple nights ago where 
If the other team is going to let Kentucky jack up 32 threes, a record since 2011, they will gladly do it and they will gladly win. Uh, and one of the things that Chin was talking about today is, you know, they don't need they don't need a couple of guys to be great. You know, they don't need to have a 37 and 24 game from Oscar every single night. They just need everyone to be good. And you have a team that goes seven or eight deep where when those players are all good, Kentucky is going to be really, really hard to beat because that top eight is just it's kind of unmatched across the country in terms of overall talent. It's just a matter of now getting everyone in the right headspace, finding the chemistry that they're looking for, uh, figuring out rotations, which we'll talk about here shortly. Um, so I think Kentucky's just proving right now that they can, it doesn't matter what the other, like I said, the, the other team can throw out whatever they want. The other game plan, Kentucky's figuring out ways. It, sometimes it takes a little bit longer than you might like, you know, they were down at half and feel like in all three of those wins, they were down at half. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. You know, Tennessee, they were ahead, right? Uh, yes, but yeah. still same, same mindset. Kentucky figures it out around the last 10, 15, 12 minutes of the game. They're figuring out the other team's game plan and it, you know, you can chalk it up to a lack of the other team adjusting, or you can uh, chalk it up through Kentucky adjusting, you know, properly, but either way it's leading to wins. And I think that was the biggest frustration early on in the year and why Kentucky fans were so upset with how the results were going and the losses that were coming uh, from them is, you saw individual efforts and, and standout performances for all of Kentucky's rotation players. We've seen, uh, you know, Kaysen Wallace have his, his break, breakthrough performances. Oscar Shibway is Oscar Shibway. Even Jacob Toppin has, you know, LSU, Louisville. You know, we saw him earlier on in the year, a couple games where he exploded. Uh, Antonio Reeves, now we've seen him with a 23-point game, a couple, you know, flirting with that 20-point line. Um, you know, Xavier Wheeler is a guy who has, you know, hit that mark on various occasions. C.J. Frederick are waiting for that kind of explosion, but he's been consistent and uh, has shown that he's been able to knock down shots. You've seen all of them do those things in individual efforts, but to, to put them all together at the same time just has not been happening. Uh, and that's been part of the issue with this team is that you just can't get, uh, you know, three or four or five of them to, to put together that that individual performance together. It's always been one guy kind of standing out and everybody else not living up to their expectations. And that, that's been the frustrating part. And I think for the first time, and especially in this stretch, the second half against Georgia was the best I've seen them play. But really, uh, the entire Texas A&M game was like, all right, that's where you can kind of start seeing the vision. You can see where the, the, the second half against Georgia and then the, the entire Texas A&M game, really the last 16 minutes, second half of both games, you saw the vision of, okay, you can have Oscar down low, dominating the way that he is. You have shooters on the outside if you have, and we'll get to our basketball Benny lineup and, and the efficiency behind behind those. But if you have all of those pieces working together and doing what they're supposed to be doing and living up to their capabilities, then this team, you can kind of start thinking big again. Texas A&M was the first time that second half stretch was the first time in, I mean, shoot, since probably the beginning of the year where I kind of sat back and said, okay, now we can start thinking, what exactly is this team? What is this team's tournament ceiling? How far can they get? You know, those type of, of big big picture thoughts that were definitely not there. I mean, we were talking two weeks ago why this team wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament. So the fact that we're here now uh, is is a is a huge step in the right direction. They're not; it's not a finished product. They still have a lot of work to be work to be done. But uh, the, the last two second halves, I think, are, are kind of the vision long term. And, and we talked about the three point shooting. We definitely need to address that. Kentucky goes eleven for thirty two from three. 
you have uh, Antonio Reeves exploding for 23 points, 5 of 11 shooting. Uh, CJ Frederick goes two for 10. Cason Wallace goes one for seven. You at least got Chris Livingston uh, and uh, Jacob Toppin combining for three, but not a super efficient game, but they still go 34%. That kind of had you thinking, okay, they're getting open shots. They're getting open looks. If they make four more of them, then that turns a nine point win into a, you know, 16 to 20 point win. And now we're talking a completely different mindset and all that. And, and the shots are there. You can see the vision with that moving forward. So uh, just what did that individual stat 11 for 32, how they were getting the shots, the open looks that they were getting and, and yeah, they were missing, but uh, just the, the shooters that were on the floor to be able to hit those shots uh, in the total number, what did the, how did that kind of change your mind mindset moving forward of what this team can be? Uh, well, kind of like I was saying, you know, it proves that they can win games if that's what they need to do. I don't know if that'll ever happen again this season where Kentucky takes 32 threes just because at least 30 of those 32 threes where no one was within maybe, you know, a foot, a foot and a half of a guy. Like they were just letting C.J. Frederick fire off shots. That was their, you know, that was their defense by design. Their design was the second – before the ball is even going to Oscar, the second uh, – the entry pass is like being – directed they were collapsing on him and that was opening up the weak side and it was just a lot of really good ball movement which is honestly i think that's the bigger takeaway is that oscar learned that all i got to do is just make the easy pass because if i make the easy pass the next guy just has to make the easy pass the next guy just has to make the easy pass and jacob toffin was a guy who did a really good uh, job of making that secondary hockey pass you know to if whether it was going to oscar or from Oscar. Uh, so i think I don't, I don't know if they'll shoot 32 threes again. I think the previous high before that was about 25, and that was kind of earlier in the season against one of the batter teams. So um, it's definitely – it shows that they can – that they are willing to take those shots. I think that's a bigger thing is, you know, even if C.J. Frederick is going two for 10 and Wallace is going for seven, those guys are still going to shoot threes. Um, 32 is a lot. I don't know. If, like you said, if that if that 34.5% number is closer to 38, you know, that's probably an extra two made threes. Uh, and that's closer towards Kentucky, Kentucky's averages on the season. And this game is, you know, a 15 point win. And it, it doesn't feel like it was as close as it maybe felt like uh, towards the end. Um, so definitely, you know, it's, it's a positive. I would be, I wouldn't be shocked if Kentucky only shoots 12 threes, you know, against Vanderbilt though. And that's just kind of how the game works out. So it's just a matter of how, how it's going to play out during the game. Uh, I don't think that Kentucky's going to sit there and rely on shooting 20 plus threes a game. But knowing that they have that in their bag now and they can uh, do that, I don't think many of us will expect Wallace and CJ Frederick to combine to go three for 17 from three uh, moving forward. So you just like, like Chin was saying, not everyone has to be perfect or great, but those guys have to be good. And if CJ hits one more three and if Kaysen hit one, Kaysen hits one more three, that game looks a lot different. And I think the style of play, I think the last, the, the how Georgia played Oscar and how Texas A&M played Oscar and how the rest of the, 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 rest of the team kind of revolved around just that, those game plans. I think that's also kind of something that kind of, I think is turning the college basketball world's head around and going, okay, hmm. All right. If, if you double Oscar and try to shut him down like Texas A&M did, then we're going to be leaving C.J. Frederick and Antonio Reeves wide open uh, on the outside. You're going to leave Casey Wallace wide open on the outside. Is that necessarily a smart decision? And then if you want to, uh, you, you know, if that's how it unfolds, you're going to have those guys getting open looks, and then they're going to have to guard those guys on the outside. And then you're going to have, you know, Oscar Sheboy on an island by himself down low. 
that game and these last two games kind of I see a Tennessee at home last season the entire team firing on all cylinders game coming up I I, I truly believe that we got to see Oscar kind of unleash the beast and go okay yeah forget UCLA forget how Alabama played me where I was so bad I was played off the floor those sorts of things and then forget the inefficient shooting nights with with the other star shooters if they can like you said they can both just live up to their expectations, not be superstars, but just kind of play well enough. There's so much talent around them that I just don't see how there's not going to be one game that you're going to get CJ hitting, you know, four threes or Antonio Reeves hitting three or four and Kaysen hitting a couple. And then Oscar going for, even if he goes for 15 and 15 or something like that, I think that is the making of a hundred point game and a win by 20 ish points or whatever. And I think that's when you start thinking, okay, now we can start getting back to the preseason hype expectations of what this team can be. And that's what, like, this team is still there. Nothing has changed about the pieces and, and how, uh, the, the, what this team's potential could be. It's always been about how they get put together and be used. And now we're seeing the vision. And now is when you can kind of start thinking, all right, this is, this is what this team can be. And I will add, uh, we, we were talking about CJ Frederick. Uh, I was told that he still has a splint on his shooting hand right now. And he's struggling catching passes and, you know, just kind of finding his touch on his release on shots. So uh, I think that that's about to come off here very, very soon. And once that that happens, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more uh, consistent shooting nights out of him. So two for 10, he's just trying to get that thing up and take open shots as they come. And uh, I have a, a pretty solid feeling that once that sprint, splint gets taken off his hand, then we can start kind of, uh, playing with fire a little bit and get really excited about what this team can be. Uh, so yeah, the three point shooting numbers, I don't think they're going to be sh- taking 32 threes in a game, but I also don't think Oscar is only going to shoot five shots in a game and be limited to seven points. So I think moving forward, we'll find a happy medium. And that happy medium is a pretty darn scary uh, thing to think about. Uh, a big reason why all of this is working together so well, Zach is uh, what we've been kind of stressing on this show since the beginning of the season. The basketball Benny lineup is working. We have the numbers in front of us. The uh, data is uh, starting to make a lot more sense and, and back up what the eye test has been telling us for a while now. Plus 15 in the win at Tennessee, plus 13 in the win against Georgia, and then plus 14 uh, in the possessions against Texas A&M. I think it's a total of 70, 24 possessions, 22 possessions, 27 possessions, you know, 70-ish possessions now combined. Uh, for the basketball Benny lineup, that is Casey Wallace, Antonio Reeves, C.J. Frederick, Jacob Toppin, and Oscar Sheboy. Cal has found, found his lineup, and it's the one that we've been begging for from the beginning. But uh, how has that lineup kind of changed the trajectory of this season, Zach, and what your expectations were two weeks ago versus what they are right now? Well, the easy answer is it just spaces the floor. You know, it just opens up shots and allows guys, you know, once once Oscar gets into a mindset that he's – not there just to put up shots every time that he can maybe turn around and make some passes. It just, just opens things up for everyone in general. And it, it leads to things like 32 three point shots. And uh, you know, having those two type shooters out on the wings, even if they are shooting two for 10 guys are following CJ Frederick around, like he's clay Thompson Mm -hmm. Uh, and Antonio Reeves is, he's just has just a bit more space to operate when he's trying to shoot that tough runner in the lane. Like just that, that, extra you know few inches of space that you might get by having to spread the floor a little bit more just helps so much when guys are trying to get off tough shot tough shots so it's you know it's what we've been asking for uh 
something I noticed is we haven't seen that same lineup with Savir inserted instead of Kaysen. So that's, you know, that's something that I think we should also consider that, you know, maybe put Savir in a situation like that and he can also thrive. Obviously it's working for Kaysen because he can step outside and shoot, but uh, a lot of Savir's threes come off, you know, the offensive rebounds anyways, and he's going to be open for those. So uh, the, in general, that that five man lineup is clearly working. I think you can even do a situation where you switch out uh, Oscar in foul trouble and put in Lance. I think we we saw that in the last game at Texas A and M, where you can have Lance as your five in the you call it the mini basketball Benny lineup if you want to, and and they'll still put up, they'll be able to produce because Lance is still going to come in there and fight for a lot of rebounds. And it, you know, obviously his offense isn't as good as Oscar's, but he's going to provide the same sort of toughness and, and fight on the glass that that lineup really needs because they've got the scores out there. That's not really what they need in that lineup. Uh, and Jacob's really coming along with how he's been doing his uh, – sorry, my phone just went off there, so distract me for a second. Jacob's been doing really good in figuring out his playmaking and, and how he wants to fit into that lineup too. A little bit less of the, you know, let me just pull up and fade away from 15 feet. He's still doing that, but a little bit less of that and a little bit more of, well, let me just – instead of just turning around and shooting, let me pump fake and go to the rim – and that lane's a little bit more open as well because you've got all those guys spaced on the court. And it's just – it's making life a lot easier for all those guys out there. And, and I guess it brings up the very difficult question. You brought up Savir and, and, you know, just how to utilize him. But just throwing some numbers at you, uh, in SEC play this season, Zach, um, he is a – Savir by himself is a minus 56 on the, flo- on the floor – uh, he is scoring just 104.7 points per 100 possession. So his, his offensive efficiency rating is, is 104.7. And he's allowing 127 points per 100 possession. So general rule of thumb is if you're above uh, 100 offensively, it's a good number. Uh, if you're below 100 defensively, uh, it, it's a good number. So he's been average offensively and actually pretty bad defensively. And I think that's kind of been a, an argument from from Kentucky fans is that it, it, it hasn't been the offensive struggles for Savir. Like, yeah, you know, he's short and he, he's not the best shooter and the spacing is is worse when he's on the floor and teams are willing to give him open looks and all that. I, I get that point. But his biggest struggles as of late is the fact that he just – he hasn't been good defensively. He's been getting beat uh, in transition. You know, he's been the guard in 94 feet. I'm a dog and uh, I'm going to be disruptive. Uh, for the entire length of the floor, he has not been that guy. He's been letting guys go past him, and uh, he's been a, kind of a train wreck in the half court, guarding you know face up and, and letting guys pass him straight line drives to the basket. That's been a, a very genuine issue uh, with this team. And you go back and look at the um, the the efficiency numbers for the ben- basketball Benny lineup: one twenty-seven offense, sixty-three uh, point seven defense against Tennessee; one thirty-five offense, seventy-six point five defense. And then Texas A&M, 154.5 offensive efficiency rating, which is unbelievably good. And then 101.7. So average defensively, but still when you're you're thriving that much offensively, you can afford to be just okay uh, defensively. Uh, that, I mean, the numbers are, yeah, the, the, technically the sample size is still small. If you take, you know, typical starting five lineups for the rest of college basketball uh, up to this point, it's, you know, 400-ish possessions uh, overall, and we're talking 70-plus with this basketball Benny lineup. So those are a little bit different. But, I mean, goodness gracious, the the analytics continue to stress how valuable this lineup is. And uh, what do you do do with with Savir Zach? That's that's my question. What do you do? Everybody says, you know, he needs to be the 
15 to 20 to 25 minute game guy. I kind of see him as like a Davion Mintz type role. Why can he not be the spark plug, you know, energy guy? Uh, you know, Davion was beloved. Everybody wanted, everybody loved him and supported him. I feel like it could be the same thing with Savir, but uh, it's it's a lot easier said than done, I think, with, with Savir in this case. Yeah, there's a lot of variables, variables I think we need to take into account with some of the numbers with Sabir because those the numbers that you just talked about, you know, we were discussing those ahead of time in our group chat with Steven, just kind of looking over them, you know, figuring out why Cal hasn't gone to it earlier and stuff like that. But, you know, if you take away, if you just look at the non-conference games, you know, obviously a lot of bad teams in there, but the numbers are good for Sabir. Uh, you know, he's everything's, you know, right where you'd want him to be and stuff like that. But then you dip into the SEC play, You've got seven games there, and the numbers are just against him. But at the same time, you've also, you know, the Alabama numbers skew everyone's. You know, everyone was a minus 20 in the box score against Alabama. You know, he didn't play against Tennessee. Uh, you know, if if CJ has his injury, I think, and we're kind of taking that into account, I think we should with Savir as well and his shoulder. You know, the last two games, he's only played a total of, what, 20 minutes or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. so it can be tough to get in rhythms. And I still think there's probably, like, I think those numbers are real, but I still think there's – some like maybe some wiggle room that we should give to him. But, you know, the thing is like I, I said last week on our sort on the sorts to say that I think 25 minutes is perfect for Savir. Uh, if I think he's perfect to come off the bench as the sixth man or even the seventh man or whatever, you know, I, I would prefer if Cal just started with the, the Reeves lineup, you know, Reeves instead of Chris, just because mm-hmm. of how the slow starts kind of continue to accumulate. And once Reeves comes in, the lineups or the, the, the score kind of corrects itself. Part of that might just be UK kind of feeling out the game plan like they have been, it feels like, over the last few games. But when you're with Savir, it's it's all going to be situational with him at this point, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, they can bring him off the bench as the sixth man, but they've got to put him in there with CJ and Antonio. Like, they can't put him in there with a lineup where you've got Chris Livingston, Lance Ware, and Oscar or something. Like, he just can't – he can't be in a lineup like that because he's going to fail. And it's not because of, you know, his inability or his lack of a talent. It's just – that lineup is impossible to play with when you're a guy who's five foot nine and wants to get to the rim and can't shoot. Like that's just how it's going to be. It's going to make it, you know, those guys, those other three aren't going to be as, as quick defensively as well. So it'll, it'll put a little bit more weight on him at the point of an attack. Like he's just in a really tough spot. And the last thing you want is for a guy like him to just lose his confidence. I don't think that'll happen because we've talked with Sabir a bunch and he doesn't really seem like a guy that would just lose all of his confidence like that. But there's no doubt that, you know, that's going to impact his mind a little bit. And it was clear that, you know, when he he doesn't want to play just one minute a second half. Like, he's been a starter for three and a half years now uh, in SEC program. So he knows what he's doing. He knows how to play basketball. But he's going to have to, like, with just how this team is laid out, there's just not enough shooters. There's really not enough shooters to go around. And you need, like, you don't have a big stretch four or stretch five that can come in and really help. Like, if, if Sabir had a – like I'm just thinking with CJ Frederick and his time in Iowa, like he had the benefit of playing with a guy like Luca Garza. Luca Garza could set all threes all he wants. Like you put Savir in a pick and roll with a guy like that, and they're just going to make magic all night long. So it's just different with Oscar. Like that's just not the case. Oscar can hit a 16 footer, but most of the time when he shoots 16 footers, we're like, why would you do that? Just take it inside. You know, he's got about a 40% hit rate or whatever it is on him, which is decent. So it's going to come down to a lot of situational stuff. Uh, and kind of how he Sabir himself, uh, I guess, feels in those lineups, and you know, where does Cal think that the best, uh, you know, opportunity is it going to be a game by game thing? Like, you know, if, if they're playing a team that really wants to slow things down, and Cal doesn't want to do that because they think they can just outpace that team, 
then maybe you do throw in Savir. But if you do that, I really think you got to have Reeves and CJ in on the wings because if those two are out there and then if even you've got Jacob or Chris at the four, that helps spread it even a little bit more because if there's just Oscar in the paint there, that makes that's going to make things a lot easier for Savir, whether it's going up for a shot or just dishing it off to him when you've got all those other three, three or four defenders lurking outside, outside of the paint instead of right inside of it. Yeah. Connor Riggs says – uh, Wheeler has to play with shooters, a combo of Case and CJ Reeves, number two big men. Uh, no two big two big men lineups with Wheeler. Completely agree. Um, you know, like we were talking about, I, I think Livingston is that guy. And, and MC says you you need even more shooters on the floor with Wheeler. Livingston at the floor, that Cal won't do. And he won't. I think we should get that in the bud right now. I don't think I don't think Chris is going to play a minute at the four the rest of the season. I mean, I would just be shocked at this point. And I will say. I think it's because of Chris, man. Like I, I, I genuinely just, you know, talking with people behind the scenes and, and I, I genuinely think that the concern with Chris is that he, you know, he wants to be ready for the NBA and prepare for the NBA. And I think he knows that he is not a four in the NBA. And even though it might, you know, allow him to produce more right now, I think in his mind, it's like, well, what really does a, you know, me scoring through contact in a kind of a back to the basket or a, a line drive to the basket score through a smaller defender? What what does that show NBA teams right now? What does that mean for my long term future? Yeah, it might make my box scores look good, but the style of play won't play me any closer to the league. I think he's really trying to drive. I, I think he would sacrifice playing time right now four opportunities of the three more so than, you know, playing at the four. And, and it sucks because I do think that he's that perfect fit as we just saw him, you know, hit back-to-back threes and just kind of both passes open there for a little bit. Not wrong. Both those passes were from Wheeler too. They were. And it's, it's just one of those things. I, I think there's something more to Cal going to the podium and saying, it's just not fair to him to play him at a position that, that he hasn't played, which is, it's a lie. Like we have talked about that just, Till we were blue in the face. He has played the four before. He played it at Oak Hill. They ran a dribble drive where he was the fourth guard. And look, if it's if it's about verbiage and it's about like just terminology, he doesn't want to be classified as a power forward. Then lie. Just say you're a fourth guard. Just say just say we're running a new modernized four guard lineup and with one big on the floor. And you're not a big. Oh God forbid, Chris. Of course you're not a big. Why, like, why would you be? but still put him at that fourth guard spot and let him do the same thing that a stretch four would do. I mean, just, just play him in that role. And, and if it, if it comes down to the terminology and not want to be used that way, I get it. But I, I think that's hurt. I mean, I, I think that would help this team quite a bit if you need to have Savir on the floor. I, I and look, if you, if you're looking to, for ways to get Savir minutes, I think that's the way to do it. Say, all right, well, in order to make this happen, we have to have three other shooters. I still don't know if Chris is a shooter, but he can make shots. I think having CJ Antonio and Chris at the three, four, at the two, three, and four with Xavier at the one and Oscar at the five, I think that's the that's a lineup. You just can't have any Chris at the three lineups with him, uh, with Jacob and and Oscar or Lance and Oscar, or Ugo and Oscar or whatever with Xavier on the floor because he's playable like if you're going to play Savir it has to be in, in situations that put him in, in positions to succeed and up to this point uh, it has not been um and will it be I, I don't know I know what was the exact quote from Chin today what, what he said about Savir um and just kind of the, the need for him on the floor 
uh, I don't remember the exact quote off the top of my head, but you know, it's it's kind of the same thing that some of the guys were saying last week. It's just like they're going to need him. He he dictates the pace for us sometimes, and he even, if I remember, Chin kind of referenced it as like a situational type thing. Like we're going to need him. Like there's times where we're going to need that guy. Uh, so maybe that's how they're taking the approach as well. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some tough conversations they have to have with him, but I think 20 to 25 minutes is definitely more of his sweet spot because he just can't play 35 minutes with how this the the roster is constructed. It's just it's not going to work out as we've seen. Uh, you know, I kind of we went over those numbers there, and I think there's still some, you know, maybe misleading variables in there. But I think overall, that's that it's going to keep trending in that direction, in the direction of having the three guards in there, and then. It really, I think the forwards are almost interchangeable. I think having Jacob there is probably the best bet at the four, but you can really interchange having Oscar, Lance, Jacob, Chris down there, however you want, and it's going to work just because the floor is just the space, man. That's just what you need. A lot of comments about Livingston's future. Uh, Daryl Williams says Livingston is gone regardless. Uh, draft stock after this year. MC says it'll be interesting to see if Livingston goes pro or returns. Um, won't get drafted. Yeah, I said, uh, do you think Chris is trying to leave after this year? I, I do. I, I will. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I, I'm i pretty confident that he came in on a um, one-year plan and was very confident about himself and what, what his pro future is and who he is in the NBA. And and I, I he's one of those guys that I would, I would be shocked if he comes back for a second year no matter what. And maybe it's a – I transfer to go somewhere where I know I'm going to get the touches and I'm going to be used in a way that's going to put me in a better position to go pro at, you know, the year after, or maybe he's going to be a, you know, take the Khalil Whitney route where he says, I'm going to bet on myself and, and go pro and fight, you know, find my own journey. Is that, the oh, that would, yeah. I, I don't think so. I, I think he would be really, really, I think it'd be very beneficial for him to come back for a second year, but I just don't know if that's, um, that was ever in the books for him. And, and you know, maybe I would love to be wrong. Maybe there's a, a, an epiphany, a change of heart. I honestly think that he might be better suited next year as a small ball four where he would actually be kind of a fourth guard alongside Aaron Bradshaw or Ugo with DJ Edwards at the three, DJ Rob, Justin Edwards. You know, I think Chris would be a hell of a four there. Or if Justin's not ready or, you know, Rob, whatever, I don't know. I think that there would be some opportunities there for Chris, and, and I hope that he sees that. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not convinced, and I'd love to be wrong on that one, but uh, he well, is, uh, I, I have to see it to believe it. Tight yeah. ball. And I, I just, I hope he doesn't try and go pro because he's nowhere near the draft boards right now. He'd really have to have a big resurgence in the back half of the season. I mean, even he's starting, but he's really only playing about 18 or 20 minutes a game over the last, you know, however many games that UK has been winning. Like he's not, he's starting the games, but he's coming out after four minutes and he's not closing the games. So I think, you know, that's, that's a tell of where he's, of where Kentucky views him as well. He would 1000% serve, you know, or do better if he came back for another year, whether that's a Kentucky or somewhere else, I don't think really matters. I think he'll thrive regardless because he'll, He'll just be a guy that just gets better over time and having that experience and he'll learn a little bit more. So people are mentioning a lot about the Bryce Hopkins situation. Uh, you know, that wouldn't shock me, I guess. I mean, Keon Brooks is kind of doing the same thing, but those guys, they're putting up good numbers. Keons are a little, maybe, you know, not what they appear to be on the surface, but very, in, very inefficient. Yeah. Very. 
So, it, you know, he can go and do that, and he'll probably rise up the draft boards a little bit. I would love to see him come back to UK for another year. I think, like you just said, having him actually be the small ball forward just because some of those forwards are going to be gone uh, or, you know, might be gone. I guess we'll have to see in how those, all, the, all that plays out because I guess technically Oscar, Lance, and Jacob could all come back for another year. Um, so, you know, Jacob, I'm sure, wants to get drafted. We'll, I don't know where he's – he's not really on draft boards either. So there's going to be a lot of – I'd be shocked if he's back as well. Do what? I'd be, I'd be very shocked if he was back as well. Jacob's back, yeah. And I think uh, I would be too. I would see – him, I could see Jacob going pro and really doing a bet on yourself type thing. I think that'd be a little different than Chris's situation just because I think Toppin, he's already shown that he has some of the attributes that a lot of NBA teams like, and they'll be able to work out some of his, you know, shooting that dumb 16 footer all the time. And they'll be able to work some of that stuff out. So there's, there's a lot there to like with Jacob right now more than there is with Chris on the NBA side, but that's a whole different conversation that I'll, I'll not get into. Connor Riggs says only players coming back from this year's team are CJ, Adu, Lance, Ugana. Do you think Reeves comes back? Um, I would. Reeves, uh, okay. I, I, and I, again, I, I, I hate to continue to bring this up, and, and I know it's, uh, you know. Bring us down, Jack. Tear us down. I just, I, I really am interested to see what happens with Rob Dillingham. I just, I, I am. Um, and, there are various reasons for that. Maybe, and again, I'd love to be wrong on that one. Who but, would you rather have? And that's, I think, I Rob think that might end up being maybe a question that we actually have to ask ourselves. And and I think if if something were to happen with Rob, I I think that that would be a pretty clear path for Antonio Reeves to come back and be a hell of a super senior. I mean that that would be a guy. Oh, player. So so the issue with this recruiting class, and we've talked about it extensively, is DJ is not a great shooter. Rob is better as the kind of catch-and-shoot guy, but he does not finish well in the slightest. They kind of complement each other in that way. Mm -hmm. If Rob, something were to happen, I hope I'm wrong, if something were to happen with Rob, you could slide Antonio in, who is a dynamic three-level scorer and can be that elite three-point shooter, alongside DJ, where DJ can be your crafty finisher around the rim, Antonio can be your go-to, you know, go-to three-level scoring threat at the two. And then you have Justin Edwards, who is kind of that versatile wing that Cal has been really missing for a minute. I mean, Justin Edwards is kind of the guy that Cal recruited back in the day, the Jalen Brown mold, uh, you know, the, when, when he went on that run of just not being able to land any threes. I remember it was like a four-year stretch where Cal just could not land you know, I think it was after Michael K. Gilchrist. He just could not land that elite three. And Justin is that guy. He fits that mold to a T, that dynamic two-level or two, two-way versatile threat. I think he's going to be a perfect plug-and-play guy. And then at the four, depends on depends on who you talk to and what you're looking for. I think they're going to try uh, – I think they're going to try Aaron Bradshaw at the four. I think they're going to try to make him a, a – a face-up guy and put Ugo at the five. I don't envision Oscar coming back. I, he's still technically able to, but I, I don't know. I, I think there was a kind of a, a bigger possibility this past offseason when he was kind of falling in love with the NIL numbers and thinking, oh, my God, I'd be able to make a fortune if he came back for another year. But I think I think reality might end up hitting him that the, the basketball clock is ticking and it's time for him to take that next step. I, that, that's my gut as of right now that he ends up leaving and, and I'm a, a bit concerned about the four and five with Aaron Bradshaw and, and Ugo at the five, but 
maybe maybe that ends up working out. But uh, I, I do, again, that's why Chris Livingston would be perfect in that spot where you could stagger Aaron Bradshaw and, and Ugo and let Chris rock out at that fourth spot and let him kind of have the Jacob Toppin role this year where he can do whatever he wants. And that, I mean, you tell me that Jacob Toppin isn't helping his case right now the last stretch of games, showing that inside out, knocking down three, a couple threes here and there, showing that face-up games, turnaround jump shot, you know, dynamic inside-out game. Like, I mean, why why would Chris not look at that and go, huh, okay, I could kind of see myself getting the keys at that position and taking over. That's my opinion, but I'm not Chris Livingston. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to see how that one goes. But what, your, your thoughts on just the kind of recruiting class next season, how how that is going to unfold? Uh, gosh. I, my only big concern is going to be some of the backcourt issues with DJ and Rob, like on defense. You know, those are a lot two smaller guys that maybe don't bring in every single possession. That can obviously change when they get to college and are in that setting. But that would be my biggest issue with those two guys uh, sharing a backcourt together. And that's why I do think having Reeves and CJ both coming back would be huge. Uh, Cause I don't think, I think if you have both those guys come back, either Cal will roll with a three guard lineup or uh, it'll be one of Rob or DJ in, and then one of CJ and Antonio in. Uh, and that kind of helps a lot of some, some of the shooting issues that we're seeing this year. So uh, Bradshaw the four, not a huge fan of, to be honest, don't like that at all. Uh, I really like uh, Aaron at the five. I think just him having him ball hawk the rim, uh, go up for lobs. If he wants to shoot shoot threes, like I'm fine with that, but he's not a guy that I really am like hard pressed on spreading the floor with him. I know he can shoot it. Um, so it'll just be a matter, I guess, of whether or not Cal wants him to. Um, yeah, having Justin out there is really going to change things a lot too. You can put him at the three or even the four if you want to. Uh, ooh, Connor even just said it, right? As I mentioned the four. So good call, Connor, there. Um, but yeah, so I don't, you know, I don't have too many more thoughts about. That class, right? It's just, it's so many moving pieces at this point that it's going to be tough to really figure out the lineup and the rotations and everything until we have, we know exactly who's coming back and who's leaving. Yeah. And, and there are some comments and questions about, you know, the, the Rob thing. And, and it, it's, it, that is, it's just too early to tell. And I think there's just a lot going into it that I would expect, like, I am expecting him to make it to campus. I, I that is my my gut as of right now, but I don't think it's a hundred percent. I I do think that there are some different variables at play, and I do think that the, the the staff still anticipates him to make it to campus and everything be fine. And 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 maybe it does, and maybe he comes in and he plays his his butt off, and he's the entertaining human highlight reel alongside DJ Wagner, and then it is as as exciting as it sounds on paper and and as highlights may indicate, but I just think that there's, it's a lot deeper than just X player signs with X program and, and makes it to campus and everything works out just fine. And there's, I think there is just a lot more uh, going on and we'll, we'll have to see how that goes, but there was something I brought I want a question for you. I want to pose, I want to put you on the spot with a tough question. What do you think is more likely that Rob Dillingham plays for UK next year or, or I guess, yeah, that he plays for UK or that no, that he what is it more likely that he doesn't play for UK or that he makes the All ACC freshman team? I think it's more likely that he does not play a second for Kentucky than he becomes an All SEC threat at Kentucky. That's a very open ended question, but I wanted you to just I wanted you to be on record. I mean, like, look the. 
it's a long list of moving parts with Rob Dillingham that I, I just, I think some, I just wait and see. But you, you asked for my, my honest opinion and that's, that's where I am leaning right now. And it's unfortunate because I think I think he has all the talent in the world and I would love to see him coached by John Calipari and that's what I'm rooting for. And I would love, love to be wrong. And I'd love for it to work out and people go, that was, you're worrying for no reason. You're a moron. I'd, I'd love for that to happen. Uh, just. Yeah. It looks like some people are kind of asking the situation. What do you want to, some people might not know exactly what we're talking about with Rob, but not necessarily eligibility concerns, but more just, you know, there's a lot of extra stuff with Rob that goes on behind the scenes that, uh, you know, with the OT stuff and there's, there's a lot of things going on. Well, I, I just think it's, it's a lot of movement, a lot of, you, you know, he, he got to overtime and I was told that he loved how things were going initially for the first couple of weeks and then just hated it. And then was like, man, I, I don't, I don't like this. And then they had to kind of talk him off the ledge a little bit and say, all right, no, let's, let's hold in tight. There was some talk about him wanting to leave. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show that, he was very strongly considering enrolling in January. And I think there was even a conversation with UK where it was like, man, you've been bouncing around high schools. Like we need to, you've committed to something. Let's ride this out and let's, let's follow through with the commitment that you made to that program. And they, like we've talked about on the show, they're trying to build kind of that bridge with overtime and see what kind of connection they can have. They like the, the, the way they're developing kids down there and the, uh, you know, just the program in general, it's a good school. It's a good, uh, you know, kind of college feel where you have classes right next door to where the basketball facility is and you, it's, it's an, a campus and it, it, it makes a lot of sense why Kentucky would want that to kind of be a pipeline moving forward. So they, they don't want to burn that bridge and say, Oh yeah, come on in in January and, and let's do that and burn that bridge before you even really start. So they wanted him to kind of take a step back and go, all right, learn. And I think that has turned around a little bit and it's not as, as bad as it was there for a while, but it's just, there's just a lot more than, and I can, can't even talk a lot more about it, but I think just a very surface level, it's, you know, a, a long history of wishy-washiness that I think could, could come back to bite in the butt down the road. We'll see. Um, let's go to any other questions, see if we can, uh, um, get off that topic there for a little while. Um, who who would you say comes back next year? Lance at the four. Uh, I'd like to. I'd like to see Lance come back, and I think that they have embraced him. You know, he's embraced this role, and he has embraced. You know, the, the the program has obviously embraced him. The coaching staff has obviously embraced him for what he's providing. Um, I just do get curious about Lance if his role and and how he's being used right now, Zach. Um, if there's ever an itch with him to go to a Boston college or go to a Providence or somewhere, you know, up in the Northeast that, that, you know, he's from, that's where he's from. And, you know, just to go get an itch to where he could go somewhere smaller and average 15 and eight a game, you know, does does he want to be that guy or does he want to be kind of a, I, I don't see him growing into a Nick Richards type of draft prospect ever. And again, I'd love to be wrong, but just me talking honestly, uh, that that's my gut with him. I think he would be kind of a lifer enforcer role with what he's what he has right now. And they're clearly recruiting in ways that 
indicate that they see it, feel the same way. They wouldn't be recruiting Aaron Bradshaw and Ugo to come in and be the kind of main guys at the, at the center position if they were expecting a major significant jump from Lance where, you know, he was going to be an all-SEC type of talent. So, uh, yeah, I, I think if he's content with that role forever, then I'd love to have him for forever, have him be that 8 to 13-minute-per-game type of guy in Lexington till, till his eligibility runs out. But – I just sometimes I, I get curious if something will scratch, you know, that that scratch will need to be scratched and, and he'll go, you know what, or that itch will need to be scratched and he'll go, you know what, maybe I would like to go somewhere closer to home and, and put up numbers. What are your thoughts on that one? I, I wouldn't blame Lance one bit if he decided to, and, you know, if I'm a guy like Shaheen Holloway, Seton Hall, you know, who's from, was that St. Peter's that was right next to, you know, Camden where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Lance wears like, if I'm Shaheen Holloway, I try and go get a guy like Lance. Like, you know, I don't know how the all the the inner workings of the transfer portal work behind the scenes, but like that's a guy that you could come in and make your immediate starter at center, and he'd put up probably like a 12 and 8 or average, something like that. So yeah. it's, it's really just gonna come down to does Lance want that? You know, like you said, he's found a home here, he's been here for years, he's got uh another Camden boy coming in. He's you know, he's known that's for being sure. for a long time. So UK is even still trying to recruit another Camden kid. And, you, you, you know, if you're UK, you'd like to keep as many Camden kids on the roster as you can uh, to help that recruitment pitch. So, it's yeah, it's just going to come down to does Lance want more? Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be an NBA draft prospect. Uh, you know, he could easily prove me wrong. Nick Richards already had his sort of resurgence at this point uh, and proved that he was worth, you know, what he was. But Nick Richards is also seven feet tall and can block a lot of shots. Lance has proven that his big thing is he's our enforcer. He's UK's enforcer. He's the guy that's going to be tough, and he'll come in there and get rebounds. He's probably going to miss a couple three-footers, but you know he brings things that a lot of guys, that teams just don't have and a lot of teams need. Um, so if he wants to go out and, and get 12 and 8 somewhere to you know a, a high mid-major or something like that, I wouldn't blame him one bit. I don't think fans should blame him one bit for that, uh, but I think UK would be better off if he returned for sure. Yeah, and I would definitely lean him coming back. It's just something in the back of my mind that I think about where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe he does have that itch and says, you know what, screw it. I'd I like something fresh. And Darrell Williams bring up brings up that there is a lot of value in, grad, you know, going to one school and graduating from one school. And, uh, you know, I, I, I 100% agree. That would be um, really cool on his end. And I'd, I'd love to see him be a lifer here in Lexington. He's, he's certainly got the fan support and he's definitely a fan favorite. So that, that'd be awesome. Um Nathan Stout, do you think Reed is the best shooter coming in? Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I guess the only competition would really be Rob. I, I mean, I, but I, I think for my money, Reed's the better shooter. And I, I, DJ's an okay shooter, definitely not a great shooter. Justin's kind of, you, you know, back and forth at times. I think I don't, you know, really it's not even that close, really. I think Reed is, is a very good shooter, and I think he'll be a very good college shooter as well. So uh, definitely in that regard. Uh, and then, Zach, do you get your thoughts on this one? Yeah, says Trey Johnson this weekend. Are they rolling out the red carpet? Um, yes, they are. And they he has become a huge need for this program, unfortunately, uh, because of how things unfolded with Ian Jackson. Uh, how important is this visit coming up this weekend, Zach, getting Trey Johnson on campus? It's a big game matchup against uh, Kansas. I know the staff is very excited about him coming in. I think they understand the the need for this visit to be a huge one and, and you know, kind of make up some ground because I do think the pro route uh, and, you know, some of the local Texas schools are probably leading for him right now. But how important is this visit for the program? And, you know, what do you like about Trey's game? Well, it's a lot more important today than it was maybe seven or eight days ago. That's for sure. So 
they definitely, you know, Trey's probably at the top of their 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 recruiting board now. Uh, they would have liked to have been able to have Ian on board and maybe help that pitch a little bit. So it's going to be a little bit more tough, I think, uh, having the winning streak coming in. You know, if you really want to roll out the red carpet, winning three games going into it, or four, I guess, if they can beat Vanderbilt tomorrow, really, really help the pitch. Um, you know, talking about some of the guys that are whoever they're trying to target you know, elsewhere. I think I've even said before that I wouldn't be shocked if a couple of these 24 kids who are in the, you know, f low four stars really break out and become, you know, top level guys that UK starts to go after. So, but in the, in the sense of where we are right now, this is probably, you know, the, one of the biggest rollouts that they've had since, I guess, since DJ and Aaron came and Aaron yeah. did uh, for whenever that was big blue madness. So they really need this visit to go well uh, for him and, and put themselves back in competition for a guy like Trey, who's, arguably the best shooter, you know, maybe of the 23 and the 24 class. I don't know if we want to stretch it out to the 25 class as well, uh, but he's really, really good just shooting from anywhere outside. I mean, he can go four or five feet behind the line too. He's really, really good at that. So it'll, it'll be a big, big weekend to have him in, you know, just basketball wise recruiting or uh, even football wise. I got a lot of big recruits coming in this weekend. So uh, it's just going to be a big, big uh, red carpet event all around for the program or the university this weekend. And MC says, make sure our players don't pull a Tyler Hansborough and refuse to say hi to Trey. <laughs> yeah. Everyone go say hi at the lunch table. That's for sure. Everybody make sure uh, you you go say hi to Trey. Connor Riggs says, I know the 2024 class is bad, but how good is the 2025 class? Um, it is sensational. It's a really, really good class. And that might be Kentucky's hope right now. I know we talked about Darren Peterson in the last show and um, the importance of getting him from 2025. He is a New, New Jersey scholar kid. Uh, for my money, I think he's going to end up reclassing and being a top three three kid in the 2024 class. So uh, I do think that kind of unofficially he's a, among the top. I think along him and um, I think it's probably him, Trey Johnson and Boogie Flan maybe in a tier just slightly below. I think Trey and Darren Peterson at the very top of that priority list. And I think Boogie Flans right below, but still a very, very significant priority for the program. Uh, but I know that 2025 Zach class, I know you're in love with, with that one. I, you know, other names to throw out there. The staff loves Koa Pete, a kid that I personally love as well. I saw him on the three SSB circuit playing for the Compton magic and he was sensational kind of a mini Paolo Bancaro, um, kind of a football body. Uh, his family is loaded with football, you know, talents, NFL players and, uh, he, he, you know, I think there are times that he, you know, probably would be better, better suited having three fingers in the dirt and coming off the outside and sacking the quarterback. But uh, he's also a dominant basketball player in his own right as well. And I think he'd be a, a, an amazing fit at Kentucky. Um, uh, and I know obviously Cooper Flagg, I highly, highly doubt that he'll ever play a minute of college basketball. I think he's the best at non-Victor Wimignana um, talent in, in the world right now. And I think he might go pro sooner than people are expecting. I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he, you know, leaves Montverde and goes plays for the new, you know, New Zealand breakers or something for, uh, you know, a couple of years before going to the NBA because he's that good. And he kind of could be like a Luka Doncic, go play pro while you're 15, 16, 17 years old before going to the NBA. I uh, would not be shocked in that regard. And then, uh, the Boozer twins, Kentucky is going to uh, explore that route. Um, they either, uh, obviously Cameron is very, 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 very good. And uh, I think that everybody's kind of penciling them in at Duke for obvious reasons with their dad being Carlos Boozer, who is a uh, great at, at Duke. And uh, I think they're going to 
keep that option open and see what happens. But I, I don't think he'll end up in Kentucky. Who do you like in that 25 class, Zach? And are there any kind of must-gets for the program in your ass? Um, there's still it's I think it's still a little bit early, I guess, to for me to sit here and say the guys that I like the best. But I, I remember watching Coa Pete at uh I had to watch him online, obviously, for the USA national stuff with him and mm-hmm. Cooper Flag playing up two years, I guess, technically. Uh, both those kids looked like they could play college basketball today. Uh, Cooper especially can play, like you said, he could he could probably hold his own like in the NBA right now. Come off the bench playing ten minutes, like the kid is he's just supremely talented and has insane basketball IQ. Is really the big thing with him is you just a lot of guys just naturally have really good basketball IQ, and he's one of those guys, and it's just only going to get better for him. Cameron Boozer is obviously really really good. He's going to be a great NBA player, especially if he can. I remember he was shooting threes at Hoop Hall, and I was like, if he's if he's shooting threes and making threes, he'll be better than his dad was. And his dad was a two-time All-Star, 15-year veteran. So, um, you know, if Darren Pearson stays in that class, he's obviously the the key guy, I think, that they honed in on. Um, there's just there's a lot of other guys. I can't think of any names off the top of my head, unfortunately. But We went through we went through the main ones at, at minimum. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of talent there, and that's going to be – that'll be if, – if Cal wants to get a super class, that's the one where you shoot for because that would be a real – you get four or five stars from that class in your action. That that will rival a real, you know, Calipari class in his early times. Yeah, I completely agree. Let's uh, kind of start switching gears back and ramping the show down, but uh, switching back to the current team. I know it's, it's always a, a blast answering questions from the fans. I always appreciate, appreciate the feedback. There were a bunch of good ones today especially, so – uh, appreciate that. There's somebody that reached out to my uh, DMs on Twitter. I want to make sure I get their name um, before, but uh, they asked about just the, the, this current team's tournament ceiling right now um, and, and what the seating could kind of turn out to be right now. Uh, Zach, if things go, obviously, if the wheels don't fall off, uh, assuming they continue this path, you know, obviously they're not probably not going to go undefeated the rest of the way, but if they continue a path of, of, continued steps up and moving forward what do you are you kind of envisioning in your mind of what this team can be and and what their tournament uh, ceiling is going to be it's Kyle Woeful just on Twitter just on on Twitter reached out said uh, what's the realistic ceiling for this team in regards to the NCAA seating so your your thoughts on that one if they continue like so if they continue continue with the trajectory that they're on and they keep utilizing this basketball Benny lineup that we've nicknamed it and you know, they continue to open the space, open the floor, and they just kind of let the game dictate itself and don't try and dictate the game. Uh, I think all those are just playing into Kentucky's strengths right now. Um, you know, the schedule is still kind of tough. Like, you've got you know, you've got Kansas coming up. They've lost two in a row, so that'll be interesting to see uh, with them. But then you've got Tennessee. Uh, you got Arkansas, Auburn, uh, or Arkansas twice, I think, yeah, uh, on here. So, there's, I mean, there's a lot of tough games left. Luckily, those games will really help build the resume if they can you know steal a couple of those luckily a lot of these games that are left over like you got Ole Miss and Georgia are really the only two you know that really will probably won't help you too much in the in the seating Vanderbilt will be kind of an iffy game um but if they continue doing what they're doing you know let's I think they've got maybe 10 12 games left if they win eight or nine of those I think they're firmly you know in a six seven five seed area depend you know if you can make a run in the SEC tournament uh, you know, as we've seen in the past, sometimes the SC tournament doesn't even matter to seeding at all. Uh, so if they can steal, maybe, you know, beat Kansas and then, you know, sweep Tennessee, I think you're you're looking at moving yourself back into the top five-ish seed category. 
Uh, and then from there, it's it's all going to be wide open. Like, you know, I, I can see Kentucky easily making an, an Elite Eight Final Four run just as easy as I could see them bowing out in the second round to, you know, some 10 seeds. So I don't think really – this could be one of those tournaments where seeding might just not matter that much. Uh, if you can get in the Louisville region, I guess that's really all that would matter is you try and just be as close to home as possible. Um, so, yeah, they, I don't I don't see them getting higher than like a three or a four seed at this point. Uh, even if they do, you know, if they run the table, I think obviously they're going to shoot way back up there. But I just don't see that happening. They're going to drop a game or two. That's just that's just how basketball works. Um, but like as Martin Robert here could see them win the SEC tournament, tournament, I could easily see this team winning the SEC tournament because they've already proven they can beat one of the better teams in Tennessee. Still got to go through Alabama, I guess, and that's kind of the juggernaut right now. Um, so, but the ceiling is like it's it's raising. The ceiling is going up each game, and I guess that's really what the big takeaway. Yeah, I don't know how how much you can say the floor is going up yet because the floor was literally as as We've low as it could possibly be against South Carolina. So I, I still, we know the floor. The floor they're, getting, they're getting better, but I, it's still not fair to say that the floor is very high. I think that it still could bottom out and, and the wheels could fall off um, if they don't go with the efficient lineups and they try to you know put that square peg in a round hole to close out the year as we saw to, to begin begin the year. Uh, but but yeah, I, I think we're starting to see that ceiling start creeping back up, and, and what it what it could be. Uh, again, if you with the pieces that this team has, and the shooting, and the the rebounding, and the defense, and and just the spacing, and the ball handling, and all that. I mean, when you put all of the things together, the reasons why we were so frustrated at the beginning at the beginning of the year is because we know the talent has always been there. And there are some questions, you know, is this team even really that talented? I think the last two games, the second half of the last two games has, has proven that, yeah, the talent is there. Uh, and I think it's it, – we haven't even seen them play at their best. I think we're still waiting to see them kind of hit that next level, and I think that's what's so exciting. And um, I'm waiting for that breakthrough moment. I'm waiting for that Tennessee at home that we saw last year where they just started – hitting everything they threw at the rim and rebounding the way they did and defending the way they did. And I would not be shocked if we get a hundred to 70 win at some point in the very near future. And uh, that's when we can start getting really excited. I, I still need to see it to believe it. We, you know, still baby steps toward that, but I, at least we're getting closer. And that's, that's definitely what, um, where that excitement stems from. Um, real if, you want, if you want to start making statements, it's tomorrow. You go into Vanderbilt and you beat that team by 15, 20 points I mean, we're gonna we're gonna preview Vanderbilt for a second here uh, shortly, I'm sure. But yeah. Vanderbilt, they've got a very weird SEC schedule so far. Like they've beaten good teams, they've lost to bad teams. So um, if you can go into that team and just spank them and wipe them away real quick, that would be you know that's when I can see us a, a real season turnaround type. Like winning close games is nice, and you want to be able to. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just read Matt Sachs' comment in there that made me laugh. Uh, <laughs> I don't even remember what I was saying. Damn it, Matt. Uh, <laughs> that was a good good comment there. The, but, uh, yeah, it's Vanderbilt. So you come in there and you sweet, and you just spank that team. Uh, that's I want to see them just beat a team down. They really haven't had that since the non-conference play. Uh, so I, if you can come in and, and just spank that team, I think that would be a real statement and breakthrough. And then we could start talking about, okay, now where's the ceiling? You know, Now do we move forward? And obviously you got the Kansas game Saturday. That one's turning into a little bit less exciting than it would have been, I guess, uh, with their recent losses. But they've got opportunities coming up where you can make back-to-back -back statements here this week and really continue this upward trajectory. 
Yeah, Matt Sachs said Jack Pilgrim's chest day routine, gym routine. Uh, today was leg day, actually. So, so thanks. It, it, it was squats and calves, baby. Squats and, and Bulgarians. If if uh, I was not in the farm, farmers carries was today. I was. I, I hate leg day. It's my least favorite. So, um, you, you get chest day whenever we. Uh, I think that'll be like Wednesday or something. But we'll need the scoop then. Anyway, anyway, um, yeah, so a, a little uh, pr- prediction for tomorrow night. I know we got to start wrapping this thing up, but uh, how how you feeling? Right? Do you do you feel like they'll be able to continue to take these steps forward uh, for, for Vanderbilt? I do, because uh, like I said, I think Vanderbilt's kind of an up and down team. Uh, you just kind of got to catch them on the right night, I guess, uh, or wrong night, depending on how you want to uh, look at it. Uh, Vanderbilt's tough, though. Like, they don't you – know, I think if I can just cheat real quick and look at uh, – some of their scores in the SEC play, they only lost to lost Tennessee by nine on the road. Um, they beat the same South Carolina team that beat Kentucky. It was an overtime, but then they beat Georgia by a few. Only lost to Alabama by twelve, which in comparison to Kentucky looks a lot different. Uh, you know, beat Arkansas as well. So they have a we- they have weird results. You know, over the last uh, few weeks in their SEC plays. So I don't think Kentucky will go in and just spank that team. Uh, because I think Vanderbilt has enough talent overall to just keep it close. They're not just the fighty Scotty, fighting Scotty Pippen juniors this year. They actually have like a little bit of depth depth around and guys that can can score and contribute. I think they've got a really big like seven foot one guy in there uh, who can create some problems. So um, having it on the road too never helps. You know, Vandy's not a fun place to play in. Uh, but I still I was you know from our perspective I do feel good. I think Kentucky's riding high. I would not be shocked at all if Kentucky gets off to a slow start and is down by six or seven or eight at the half again and then comes back and figures Vandy out in the second half. I think we, I don't want to say that that's how this team might just operate the rest of the way, but it wouldn't shock me at all if they're just a slow burn type thing where it takes until the second half for them to figure out what the other team's throwing at them and then they break it down and exploit it. Because we've seen over the last few games that they just have Kentucky has players that are smart enough to to figure that out and they're not over, they're not trying to do too much. Uh, like they kind of were at the beginning of the season. Like, you know, Jacob Toppin's not just going to go in there and fire up a bad shot. He's going to think about it for a second. And he's going to see if Oscar's open. If he's not, he's going to switch. He's going to swing it back. Like just, they're playing a lot different than they were a few weeks ago. So I would predict, you know, if we're, if we're making score predictions, I'm sure we will here. So I might as well, I'll say, I'll say this game goes 79-70 Kentucky. Um, uh, Martin Robert, catcher long overdue for breakout shooting performance, maybe in Vandy Silly Gym. I love, love the optimism. Martin and then my guy, uh, BBN uh, MJ, says Vandy always plays us tough, uh, no matter how bad they are record-wise. I agree. They always play us tough. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse is, uh, you know, I, I little overrated coaching-wise. I know people like his, his suits, and he always looks in, incredible on the sidelines, but still as a coach, I still, he's, still think he's definitely – a uh, wait and see guy if, if he's the actual answer. I, I think it is a huge, huge hit thing that Vandy will be without Liam Robbins tomorrow night. Uh, I think that's somebody that that would have made up, I think, a big impact there in the front court and uh, probably would have led to a better um, shooting performance for the Cats and and definitely a, a more better emphasis on on the perimeter. But I think Oscar may end up having a little bit of a field day down low, and it could be definitely a, a physical kind of grinded out type of game, uh, which definitely would not lead to probably a, a blowout in, in that regard, but it still could lead to a pretty solid win down in, in Nashville. Definitely looking forward to that one. Um, we've gone over a little bit, so let's go on and get out of here unless there are any last second. Well, we didn't touch about the 
there was a bracketology about Kentucky. Oh, right, 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 right. What do you th- what do you think of that? The, the latest update was Kentucky versus Duke as a seven ten matchup in the opening round. I I don't I have a hard time envisioning the NCAA tournament committee would would do something like that for an opening round. But could you imagine the numbers on that thing and that an opening be, round matchup? And that would be the reason to do it, you know, if because I think they even mentioned it, Matt Jones and them on the radio this morning that you're not going to get a bigger first round draw in tournament history than Kentucky Duke as a seven ten seed in, you know, where would they even be playing Albany or something? Like so that would, I mean, especially Kentucky and Duke fans alike. I know Duke fans aren't known to travel very well, but Kentucky fans would absolutely travel for that. Like wherever that game is held, you better make sure it's a 25,000 people gym because it would be packed uh, no matter what, if Kentucky's are the seven or the 10 seeds. So, I don't see it happening in zero percent chance because I think the the tournament thinks in terms of longevity. I guess they would rather see that matchup in like the Sweet Sixteen or the Elite Eight. And because opening round matchups are like the first round of, the, of March Madness always gets stupid stupid exactly. numbers, no matter who is playing. You know, so I, I think they would want to maximize that because unfortunately, if you get a, an Elite Eight matchup of Loyola Chicago versus Providence or whatever, you know, something stupid. The numbers are going to be low in that game because it's like, and eh, the appeal of the March Madness is over now. And yeah. who, re- who really cares about watching that Elite Eight matchup or Sweet if, if you get Duke, Kentucky, and really anywhere in the NCAA tournament, but later on in the, in the later rounds, all hell will break loose. But I, it still would be pretty fascinating to see how that would unfold. And it will be. Uh, in the opening round as a 7-10. I'm hoping that Kentucky is better than a, a 10 and even Duke probably better than a 7. And, and it, you know, they are one of the premier teams when March does come around. So I'm I'm rooting against that because that would mean that Kentucky ended the season better than they started and wouldn't be just a 10. So yeah. um, fingers crossed. It starts, starts tomorrow night, then it starts on Saturday against uh, Kansas. Big matchup there as well. Big two-game stretch for the Cats. Uh, just double checking. There are any aren't any last second uh, questions for us. I think we are good. Uh, let me get one last message from our new friends at my bookie. It's Ooh. a new year, new year. So give yourself a fresh start with my bookie. Whether you bet to earn or to make the games more exciting, my bookie gives you the most for your money with their redesigned deposit bonus. Just use promo code KSR. Today it has to be KSR. Usually it's sources say either either of them will work, but for today we're just going to do the KSR uh, on a deposit of fifty dollars or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. Using this bonus is simple. Bet your deposit amount just once, and you are ready to cash out. It's no strings attached with MyBookie. Bet on the NFL, UFC, or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly online Jack uh, Blackjack tournaments. Zach, I know you're a big NBA guy. NBA is all over it and, and and definitely my personal favorite to use for that. So make sure if you uh, are an NBA fan, use that for that. With so many brands to choose from, you need a platform like, that makes it simple to bet and win like my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Zach, a great time. Appreciate you coming on. As always, we always have a blast whenever we do this. So uh, real quickly, where can fans find your work? They can find me, as always, at a great website by the name of KentuckySportsRadio.com. Uh, shout out to our folks at On3 for giving us that spot. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at uh, – oh, God, I forgot my Twitter for a second. At ZGagan, KSR. Gagan is G-E-O-G-H-E-G-A-N, the triple G. Or it's even right up there now. You can see it up there. 
You can find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email, jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. It's been a blast. A lot of uh, people reaching out through the DMs and my mentions and things like that. So it's always great for the feedback. I love uh, all the interaction with BBN. Tonight was great. There's so many comments, so many questions that came in. You guys were a blast. Always love the feedback. Always love the interaction with BBN. You guys are the best. Thank you for uh, your continued support and your continued listening and watching. Make sure you subscribe to the KSR YouTube channel. Uh, wherever that button is. I don't even know if I have one here or subscribe below. There we go. Do that. And uh, we'll be back next time for the Jam Pack Source of State Podcast. We will see you then.